Welcome to Red Pill Torah, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. We have a really good and somewhat controversial discussion for you today. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. And that's right, Dad. This is a topic near and dear to my heart because when I discovered it, certain scriptures made 100% more sense. So take the journey with us. Follow us at redpiltorah.podbean.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter and on Google Play. Please follow, like, and share our podcast. Help us share the love with brothers and sisters across the country and around the world. So, Mama, do you remember that uh, trip you took to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.? Yes, it was really amazing. The way they were able to collect so much information on the early sources of the scriptures from thousands of years ago and from all over the world. I hope to go there sometime soon. What really impacted me was your description of the Slave Bible. I had never heard of the Slave Bible before, but I was angry, but not surprised to learn that there was a concerted effort by the slave owners to teach the Africans about the Word of God, but only those things that would benefit the slave owners. To learn that some printing company took the time to search out what verses they were and put them in mass consumption, or print them for mass consumption, didn't make me feel any better. I mean, this is a Bible for crying out loud. Don't they have any fear of God? Hey, I don't know. I hope so. The Holy Scriptures are so full of God's power that even with large sections missing, it seems that many slaves still found faith in the God of Israel. What some men tried to use as a means of control, the Father used to plant seeds of hope and freedom. That's right, Dad. And it's kind of how I felt when we were red-pilled regarding our understanding of the Scriptures. When we only focus on the New Testament as relevant and consider the Torah or the entire Old Testament as not equally relevant, aren't we creating a slave Bible of our own making? You know, I think that's exactly what we're doing. Now that we know that the whole Bible is for us today, um, we can do better. So you talked about the slave Bible as a tool used to control the slaves. Another method of controlling the slaves was changing their names. The new name replaced the name their parents gave them, and it erased the connection to their history and their culture. So why are we bringing this up? I mean, we have the complete Bible now, old and new, and we can find it in a variety of languages as well as English translations. Well, let's save the slave Bible idea for a future podcast. For now, let's stick with the names. Since we took the red pill, we realized in an even deeper way that we have an eternal heritage in Israel. Amen. We have also seen church traditions that, in a very subtle way, erase parts of that heritage. What do you mean? I mean, can you give me an example? Well, how about the names in the Bible? We know that most of the people mentioned in the Bible are Hebrew, right? Yes. Well, like many other cultures, the Hebrew culture is often reflected in names. In our experience, some believers respond really strangely if we use authentic Hebrew names. They assume that we're members of a cult or maybe Hebrew Israelites or maybe we've converted to Judaism or maybe we're just a couple of quarts low. <laughs> Now, for our international listeners, people saying that we're a couple quarts low is a roundabout way of saying that we're crazy. 
what we really want to do is propose another way to look at the names in the Bible. Since our Red Pill experience, we have learned that a lot of the names we're familiar with in the Bible are not Hebrew names. An example of this is Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And if you don't know these names, maybe you know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most believers recognize their Babylonian slave names, but not those given, not their given Hebrew names. And as Hebrews, their given name holds special meaning. For instance, Hananiah means God is gracious, and Azariah means God has helped. Hmm. For the Hebrew people, their identity was centered on their relationships and covenants with the God of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they're commonly called. The Hebrew word that we use to refer to God is Elohim. It can be translated as mighty ones, and it's a plural noun. When you see El, E-L, at the beginning or at the end of a Hebrew name, the name is saying something about the Elohim of the Hebrews. For example, the name Mishael, who I mentioned earlier, means who is what God is. Another example is the angel Gabriel, who is also known as Gabriel, which means devoted to God or God is my strength. Daniel, who we know as Daniel, means God is my judge. These names reflect their devotion to the God of creation. There are a lot of other Bible personalities whose names use a portion of God's actual name. That's right, miss. Hebrew names that use the syllable Yah, Y-A-H, are referring to the Father's name. We'll pick up with his holy name later in the podcast. For now, just know that Yah is an abbreviated version of his holy name. Blessed be he. Amen. Some examples of names with Yah include Yeremiyahu, which is Jeremiah, and that means Yah will raise. Yeshayahu is Isaiah, which means Yah is salvation. And Eliyahu, which is Elijah. And you remember, Tim, El means mighty ones, right? Mm-hmm. And Yah is God's name. So Eliyahu means my God is Yah. That's a good one. Some Bible names reflect something about the person's character or how they live their lives. Yosef, whom we know as Joseph in the book of Genesis, was enabled by Elohim to prosper in everything he did. He made Potiphar, his slave master, even more wealthy while in his service. Yosef's blessing followed him to prison, where as a prisoner, he ended up running the jail. Wow. Ultimately, the blessing followed Yosef to the throne of Egypt, where he saved the known world from starvation and made Pharaoh even richer in the process. Yosef's name means increaser or to add to. Genesis 30, 24 says about his mother, and she called his name Yosef and said, the Lord shall Yosef or add to me another son. We found another example in um, 1 Samuel 25. Nabal was a rich man 
who benefited from David's protection. Nabal refused David's request for provisions for himself and his men, so David determined to kill him. Nabal's wife intercepted David before he could take vengeance, and she gave them the provisions that they needed. In verse 25, she described her husband as a foolish man. His name, Nabal, means fool. And as you can see, knowing the actual Hebrew name can help us understand better why the person was given the name they were given. Mm -hmm. In some cases, names were prophetic to let God's people know his plan or how he was feeling about their behavior. In Hosea chapter 1, God instructs Hosea, or we say Hosea, to marry a whore because Israel had been behaving like a whore while in the land he had given them. He then told him to name his first daughter Lo Ruhamah, which means no mercy, because God would not have any mercy on the house of Israel and would not let them be and would not let them or would let them, sorry, be overtaken by their enemies. Mm-hmm. God told Hosea to name his second son Lo Ami, which means not my people because God would declare that Israel would not be his people and he would not be their God. Now we want to make a point about this next name and I want to ask for your patience while we make the point. Many Greco-Roman names have a kind of distinctive sound to them. If you were a fan of the movie The Gladiator, you might remember the main character's name. It was Maximus. Maybe you've heard the name Marcus Aurelius. Well, how about Julius, as in Julius Caesar, or Caesar Augustus? Maybe you've heard of Antiochus? Do you notice a common suffix in these Greco-Roman names? I'm referring to the U.S. or the us sound at the end. Have you ever noticed that the name by which we call our Savior has a Greco-Roman sound to it? Would it surprise you to know that the name Jesus is not the name the Father gave to our Hebrew Savior. Mm. Matthew 1 tells the story of an angel of the Lord telling Miriam, or Mary, and Yosef, her husband, about the impending birth of the Savior. Verse 21 from the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Yeshua, because Yoshia, or He will save my people from their sins. In Hebrew, the name Yeshua means salvation. Mm. Call him salvation because he will save. And remember our friend George's story a few podcasts ago? Mm -hmm. And his reaction to hearing the name Yeshua? Yeah, that was powerful. I have to admit, I had not heard the name Yeshua before my red pill experience either. To uh, learn his actual name and understand what it means made that particular scripture make more sense. And the scripture you read in Genesis about Joseph or Yosef, it makes more sense knowing what Yosef and Yesaf means. Now, respectfully, I understand how important the name of Jesus is in the Christian faith. It's on the door of many churches. It's on the church stationery. And it's the basis of many doctrinal statements and much of the music in the church. Um, 
Believers have come to faith calling on the name of Jesus. When preachers tell new believers that they must be baptized in the name of Jesus, of course they take that very literally. So literally, in some cases, I've seen believers actually repulsed by the name Yeshua, the name the Father gave to our Savior. How crazy it is to think that believers could worship the Savior and not even know his given name, or worse yet, not even care. In addition, we know that Yeshua means salvation. Mm -hmm. Again, respectfully, we know who we're talking about when we say Jesus, but does the name Jesus mean salvation in Greek, Latin, or any other language? No. Uh, I'm not attacking use of the name Jesus. I am questioning why we would avoid the name Yeshua. When we call that name, we're calling on salvation, personified. In our past podcast, we struggled with this very issue. Sure did. Because we want to reach believers who don't know and understand the Hebrew roots of our faith. And just like we want to share with our listeners what we've come to understand, we want to use words that accurately convey what we're sharing. That means we need to use the Hebrew name sometimes, as well as the given name of our Savior, Yeshua. Amen, Mama. Now, okay, I admit it. It does bother me sometimes to be called a Jew or a Hebrew Israelite because I use the given Hebrew names. What bothers me really, though, is the detachment that I perceive between believers and our Hebrew roots. I believe that this detachment was inherited over centuries from people who may have had good intentions, I don't know. But I also believe that this is more than a you say tomato and I say tomato type of difference. Our separation from our Hebrew roots has led to some really bad doctrine and practices that don't line up with Scripture. You know, many Jewish people want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, but they may listen when you mention Yeshua. The gospel is God's power unto salvation, or Yeshua, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So, what's in a name? Everything. Yeremiahu, or Jeremiah, chapter 16, verse 19 through 21, has a powerful message. The prophet is agreeing with God, saying that the Gentiles will come to him, saying, Our ancestors have inherited nothing but lies, and we have made gods to ourselves that are not gods at all. God will reply, I will make the Gentiles know once and for all my power and my might, and that my name is... In the King James Version of the Bible, it says, The Lord. The Father gives us his actual name in the Hebrew Scriptures, and is not the Lord. His name is spelled with four Hebrew letters, Yud, He, Vav, and then another He. We'll pick up with the Father's name on our next podcast. Well, Miss, you know, we've hit so many hot-button topics on this podcast I really hope we still have some friends out there. Yeah. Yeah, but we can we can see the prophecy that you read from Yermiyahu coming to pass in our time, and we're actually living it. Wow. We want our listeners to be part of this great awakening. When we took that red pill, we answered the question, what would you do if the way you live your life and some of your beliefs 
were not in line with the father's instructions. Would you take the blue pill and go on as if everything is cool? Or would you take the red pill, repent, change, and learn the truth? Only you can answer that question for yourself. We answered, and here we are. I'm glad we're in this together, Mama. Me too, Daddy. And listeners, you're not alone. We're here for you too. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please go back and listen again, read over the scriptures we've shared, and in our next podcast, we'll pick up where we left off with the name of God. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Torah, where you can handle the truth. Thank you.